Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Hello everybody and welcome to another Fan Critical Film podcast and today I'm joined by Emma. Good evening. John. Hey. And Gareth in Australia at 5am. Morning. How's it going? How's it going everybody? You alright? Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, and we've all been to see Blade Runner 2049, just released last week, um, directed by Denis Villeneuve. And I'm going to read a quick synopsis from IMDb. The synopsis is, a young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. Just to say, there's going to be spoilers for Blade Runner. So, you know, that's from 1982. So you should should have hopefully seen that. And Blade Runner 2049, as well as some parts of the book. But I'm going to just open it out with this uh, first First uh, question, what is your relationship to the original Blade Runner? So I remember watching Blade Runner as an early teen uh, and being blown away by it being incredibly awesome. But I have been reading or rereading Philip K. Dick's uh, Blade Runner or... Uh, Dreams of Electric Sheep. That's the badger. Um, and I'm about halfway through, so I've got some interesting comparisons from there. Well, the book knowledge is definitely going to be useful because I haven't read it. I don't know if you guys have read it. But um, Gaz, what did you think of the of the original Blade Runner? Um, the, the original is one of my... I always say it's one of my top 10 films of all time, but that top 10 list is a film of about, that's a list of about 50 films. Yeah, always um, changes. It's not it's not a strict top 10, but uh, yeah, I love the original. So I was really excited about 2049. John, what do you, what do you, what are your recollections of the original film? Well, normally when I get asked about Blade Runner, uh, I kind of pretend that I enjoyed it being a film student, uh, but for the most part, 
in the closet, so to speak. I genuinely, the first time I hate, uh, I, the first time I watched it, I hated it. I oh really? I, like, I I I couldn't believe that it was so like well thought of. Mm. Um, and I think uh, watching it again very recently, I kind of I understand why I didn't enjoy it as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I understand why I should have that sort of appreciation of it. Yeah. But I do. Uh, and not to talk too much about the new one and box office and things like that. Yeah. I kind of understand why it would be one of those that if you are a film buff, you'd, you'd absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you're just a casual film goer, it might be something that kind of just goes straight over your head. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I guess uh, to, to critique it, I mean, it's um, uh, for a film that was made in 1982 uh, you watch it now, it still looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's amazing. And, and rewatching it, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I must say. Yeah, I think um, and what it essentially did that film is it is it is it changed science fiction forever. Um, mm. If you like, there's like a you know, it's like before Jesus, after Jesus. It's like before Blade Runner science fiction, and then after Blade Runner science fiction, it presented this dystopian future and the way that it was portrayed and the way that they tackled certain themes about artificial intelligence and and all that sort of stuff it changed the game um so it was a revolutionary film like for the genre and like it it is hard to watch like it's not like like you said when I first watched it when I was younger I I loved it because I loved the aesthetic and I loved the world but I didn't necessarily Mm. enjoy the film but I just loved it for what it was doing um yeah and i think that's you you hit that sort of nail on the head but now i've just got the best appreciation for it you know the the original version that was released had like um harrison ford's voiceover like narrating the yeah. film and it had different <laughs> connotations about certain characters um and then you know luckily ridley scott was able to go back in and and do he, he did a director's cut and then he did a final cut and the final cut mm-hmm. is taken as to you know widely taken now to be the best version of the film to watch so is that the version that you guys have all seen yeah correct the the final cut version yeah yeah so with that in mind can i just go around you guys as a group and ask if you think deckard is a replicant after you've watched the final cut um yes yeah emma resoundedly yes yeah so obviously in the final (laughs) cut there's um there's the scene of him dreaming of the unicorn. I think it's the unicorn. Um, and the little origami figure that gets left by his, um, like, by his, like, sidekick friend, sidekick police friend, is of the unicorn. Mm. So mm. that would imply that his memories are an implant and his dreams are implanted and that he is, in fact, a replicant. And when he goes off into the proverbial sunset with Rachel we assume that he probably will die at some point. They only have a lifespan of four years, as we know from the original Blade Runner. Even though Ridley Scott has kind of said, yeah, he's a replicant, and that's why he redid the final cut to sort of have that end scene to, you know, promote that that, that chain of thought. Um, there's still, it's still not 100%, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like 100% proven, and we'll come on to it in a bit, but I still think there's a sense of ambiguity in this film, and I love the way that they preserved that, like that mm. sort of mystery about it. They didn't like mm. go. They never once said like, "Hey, uh, Deckard, you know when you were when you know when you were built, 
you know, as a machine or anything. <laughs> they they word it very carefully and they tread around it. Um, and it's, it's ah. great. And it's great. <laughs> so from a perspective of kind of all three mediums of the Philip K. Dick story, um, like you said, before you get to director's cut, the original Blade Runner is ambiguous, massively ambiguous. Um, in 2049, I think actually, if you hadn't have seen original Blade Runner, especially not director's cut or final cut, um, you could easily believe that he could be human. Um, in the book, however, it is abundantly clear that he is a replicant. Is it? Right from the beginning. So um, mm-hmm. you just make an assumption, and I, I kind of had to put aside yesterday's film to, to really absorb myself in the novel. Um, but when you do that and you read it as a standalone it's incredibly clear that he is not human. He mm. is a construct. Uh, moving on to the 2049 sequel, Gaz, yeah. what did you think of the film? Um, well, again, I came away thinking <clears throat> I, I absolutely loved it. And But then I think similar to, to what you were saying about the original or the director's car is like, I, I love it because of because of the world that it's set in and the the visual masterpiece that it yeah. is, like I could just watch those scenes over and over. It, it's and the it's the best looking film I've ever seen, ever. Like I I've not seen anything like this before, even mm. the original. Like mm. that's bold. No, I've that's not seen I've not seen anything like this. It, it, it's just uh, just some of the visuals are just and and the um, cinematography. I think Roger Deakin did the cinematography. It's unbelievable. If it doesn't win. If it does not win an Oscar in some respect, be it to do with, um, you know, the cinematography or the special effects, I will be amazed. It is just, I think it's breathtaking. It's in a way, in a way, it's like, yeah, I, I totally agree. But in a way, it's almost like it's the, the visuals are too good. Like yeah. I could, I could happily, I reckon, you could jumble up every single one of those scenes into a random order, and I could sit down and enjoy it almost as much as I did mm. watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. Just, that's, got, that's got to be an insult to, to the film. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I'm having, I'm having a little bit of a go at the story, but not that the story is awful. I just think that the visuals are so good mm. that that's by far the best part of the story. Um, sorry, the, the best part of the film. Um, and the narrative I agree. Yeah. is sort of mm. secondary to it. No, see, I disagree. Now, the visuals are great. But but I thought the storyline in itself, if you'd have condensed the damn thing, was actually fantastic. The the guts of it and the real backbone of the storyline was amazing. The film bored the shit out of me for probably the middle hour and a half. I, I'll be reading it. Have you murdered it? Fifty percent of the film. Yeah, so you could have cut that film in half and still had so much power to it. And I felt like there was just so much in there that you didn't need to have that didn't add anything. It was all about the effect. And I understand that a lot of that is, you know, playing to the audience and, you know, it is amazing and it was good. But I think if you'd have cut it down, it would have been so much more powerful. And I might not have fallen asleep in the cinema. John, what did you think? Yeah, I think um, I don't really know what Jared Leto was doing in it. Every time he was on, I just, just thought, what is the point in this? Get rid of this. I actually started looking at football scores whilst that was happening. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, genuinely. I, I started looking at that. football scores, looked up, and Rachel had been shot dead. I was like, what's going on here? Like, that's how disinterested I was in Jared Leto in this film. <laughs> oh, really? Like, what, what's the point in this guy? 
Give oh. me more Dave Batista. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. I just think the character was underused and not really like sold. Why is he so evil? Well, like, yeah, why, so why is he so evil? I need to know What's why. The point he... in it? Yeah, I just need to know why he's so evil. Like, and also, could someone explain his eyes? I love that. I thought the the technology used in this mm. film and the the sort of way it's all set up and carries on from the first film is amazing. I, I personally loved this film. I loved the original, as I've said, and I went into the cinema with low expectations because why we never knew we wanted this film. Like if someone had said, Oh, let's make a sequel to Blade Runner. You're like, they're just going to ruin it. They're just going to absolutely ruin it. Mm. Um, and I came out of the cinema, just the most happy I've been coming out of a film that, you know, and sitting halfway through like even just 20 minutes into the film, just with a smile on my face going, they've actually nailed this. They haven't fucked it up. They've preserved the integrity of the original whilst making something that is its own little masterpiece. Just just the way it carries on the world building, because in the first film, you know, you've got this, um, you've got your vision of the future, this decaying world, and, you know, you get the sense that everyone who is affluent has escaped Earth and has gone to live off-world on these new luscious planets that the replicants have, you know, been used as slave labour to build. But just the mm. fact that we got to see the larger expanses of, like, California and how, like, Mm. that amazing shot where it just opens and the whole thing is just solar panels like and yeah. and, and yeah, you, you know and there's just the little things like the fact that trees and wood is now the new gold and the fact that you know that just just the amazing realization of of the technology and this weird alternate reality distant future where they haven't invented the internet but yet they have flying cars you know they've had a rev- mm. they've had like a revolution in energy but not a revolution in information and i just thought that like just all of that was just so good we follow the protagonist of the film um k i can't remember all the other initials after his name but let's just call him k for the sake of it what did everyone think about the initial reveal that um k is a replicant pretty much in the first like scene i think there's a couple of things there like first of all they they want this to be its own film so you don't want to follow the exact same beats of the original. Um, yeah, hundred percent. What did you guys make of Ryan Gosling's performance in this film? It's just Ryan Gosling, isn't it? <laughs> just, uh, he he just has this thing, doesn't he? Uh, it's called brooding. Well, I, I, it's called brooding. I'm not. Yeah, but come on, come on now. So um, just the context here. John McCann hates Drive, don't you? Oh, so... I do. And, and, yeah, that and, is true, yeah. And, you know, and it's this, actually probably quite a similar um, performance, I guess. Very similar. Yeah. So you didn't, think his, good. you didn't think his performance in this was good? I mean, I, I personally thought it was excellent. No, it's, it, uh, well, uh, that's over the top. I, no, but I, think, I'm, willing to bet you, I'm willing to bet a lot of money he yeah. wins no awards for his performance in this movie. No, he won't, but... It will win Oscars. It will win Oscars. This film will win Oscars. Yeah. I Just actually it think... won't win any for any performances. Yeah. I, so Apart I actually think potentially is good. Uh, joy. But it's but... funny, J- J-O-I. Like, that's a that's a, a porn term as well. Yeah. What, does it, what does it mean, Gareth? Tell us all about your uh, porn Even, even I didn't plans. know that. Go on, what, what is that? Is no, it an acronym? I just, just saw it, didn't I? Um... Oh, well, it stands, it, for, it stands for jerk-off instruction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> it's a porn acronym, are you kidding me? Gaz, were you a fan of Ryan Gosling in this film? Uh, yeah, I was. I was a fan. Um, 
I like I think over his sort of default setting in it is this kind of calm um emotionless yeah um kind of replicant obviously so I, I yeah I, I guess it's down to that but then he's still it's seeing, not though is it I mean that see, is just him in everything he's like that in everything <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why he's the perfect, perfect actor for this film, I guess. Oh, good um, point. And you see these outbreaks of emotion, um, and it, I don't know, has a lot of impact. I think when when he does, oh, um, when he does express his emotions so vividly, because the rest of the time he's so calm. Like when his car's being, he's finding cars being shot down and stuff. Oh and yeah. He's just like, mm. There's a couple of scenes that really blew me away with his acting. Um, I know John disagrees with this, but I I just think he was he was so good at those exploding moments of emotion, mm. like exactly. like there's that moment where it's a very lingering scene, but he, he you know he's back in the furnace and he, and he realizes when he, he picks up the horse in the furnace and he realizes that oh my god, my whole life I've been brought up at you know as this one or one or two digit machine which is literally just there to hunt down other machines. I'm not allowed to really emote. I'm not allowed to sort of think for myself. And he realises that it's all a lie at this point and, and that he he's actually, like, potentially the most special, you know, life form on the planet, you know. And he, that was great. And then the memory, the scene with the memories, which was just absolutely unbelievable, just the special effects in that was just... just some of the best things I've ever seen and how he just mm. he just loses it when he, when she tells him that you know this someone lived this memory you know someone lived this this is real and he just loses it I thought he was great because because the whole point is you know he's ne- he's you know like like John said monotonous for a lot of the film but then the, these little explosions are just of, of emotion were amazing with that with that scene um this is this is um, going off track a little bit but it's is, do you reckon, is there any reason why she doesn't say, yeah, that's my memory? I feel like, like she can't. She, she, I yeah. think she knows what she is. Well, I was going to say, that, that opens up the question, does she know who she is? And if she does, there's a reason why she doesn't say, because, you know, as Ryan Gosling says, as, as Kate, you know, if people know who I am, when he thinks that he is the, you know, this miracle creation of two replicants or a replicant human, or, or whatever the case might be, depending on kind of whether yeah. you're watching it from a, a knowledgeable background or not, um, they will hunt me down. You know, this whole film, he's, he's be, you know, we think we're following this, you know, special chosen one. Um, and he does as well. He comes this and we're on this journey with him. And I, and I love the fact that the film takes a U-turn and just flips that and says, actually, no, you know, you're no more special than all these other replicants, but mm. you have it within your power to sacrifice yourself for something greater than yourself. John, what do you reckon to the fact that you find out pretty much towards the end of the film that you've been following this false saviour? What do you, what do you think about that sort of, uh, the, that thread? Yeah, no, no, I liked it. I think, uh, I don't have many issues with the plot itself, I'd argue it's got probably more of a plot than the original. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. Mm. Um, uh, and as I say, like, uh, yes, was it a bit long? Definitely. Um, but in terms of that, that twist, uh, did I see it coming? 
probably not. I don't think yeah. I did. I think they led us down a merry um, chase, like, you know, in, in a good way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, look, it was good. And, and I guess the uh, the idea that um, uh, he isn't special, I don't know if I subscribe to that. Oh, really? Because ultimately, what I, well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> depending on what happened after this, yeah, um, you could argue that, you know, he's, he's kind of one of the key uh, involvers of whether it goes one way or the other, whether or not, I mean, uh, that's, that's to say that uh, who knows that anyone's still human at this point. Yeah, exactly. Fucking replicants. Yeah. That's a really fair point. And I think um, when I meant that he's not like special, I don't, I don't, I, I do think he's not, not, not the chosen one. Yeah. yeah I'm, I mean, uh, I mean kind of like this feeling like that you have with him. Cause you go on this journey with him, like, like we said, where he, he realizes that his memories are real and then, has this sort of like epif- the epiphany that he he was born and earlier he says something really interesting to like the head of the LAPD that that um, the madam the lady um, he says like oh I've never had to retire anything that was born before when the prospect of having to find this child and care and then she says oh why does that bother you and then he says because something that was born has a soul and. Yeah. Then she says, "Don't worry about that. You've been getting on fine without one." But it's this idea that he he thought he had a in his mind maybe thought he had a soul, thought he was like a had a you know as a genuine consciousness, like not something that was created that was manufactured for a purpose, but something that was you know born. And I think yeah. that that's where I mean, like you know, he's he, he's not he's not remarkable in the fact of like from a biological sense and this sense mm. of like having a soul, which I think is so important to him. Um, mm. It's a very interesting trope within both dystopian fiction and science fiction is the idea of humanity and souls. What I really liked about the way, actually the way the film dealt with this was that um, even when he realised that he had been built and not born, he didn't lose the humanity that he found because he thought he had a soul. What did you think of Harrison Ford's uh, usage in this film and also like how he was introduced and his general performance? If it was, if he wasn't Harrison Ford, mm. and I know there was an argument made for the actress that played Rachel in the original that they didn't bring her back as an older woman. Yeah. They just uh, did a bit of CGI to bring the young woman back and then off her off. If it wasn't Harrison Ford... Yeah, I don't think they would even have bothered bringing him back. It's very similar to how I felt about Harrison Ford in Star Wars. In that, I think we're going to have a falling out because no, no, no. <laughs> I, and, and, it, and it's not the same. In that he was great, but he is past his prime, and it wouldn't have been as good without him. But he is not who he used to be, and I feel like in twenty forty nine he didn't bring what i hoped he would have bought i'm i'm gonna just go completely against what you two did i he just brings and i know john you didn't like ryan gosling's performance or whatever but some i thought some of the performance <laughs> i didn't mind it yeah I didn't mind it you but weren't let's not you weren't ourselves that it's yeah. uh an acting masterclass it isn't yeah I mean, well, like anything, so. down to the ground but yeah i thought that harrison ford like just his because he wasn't on screen that long really he has about like three scenes maybe four scenes and no, he's old, isn't 
uh, yeah, but I thought he gave a fuck about this film, like I, like he did about Star Wars. Like sometimes when you see him yeah. in, re- in more recent films, he hasn't really cared. Like you can just you can just see it. But he cared about like Star Wars, Force Awakens, and I thought he was great in that. And I thought he cared about Deckard in this, and and I, and I thought he was great in this. Um, Gaz, what did you what did you make of him? Well, I was just gonna say, I think um, I also disagree with what John was saying about like. Would they bothered to bring him back? I think, from a from the narrative perspective, it's really important that Deckard is in this film. Yeah, like I, I think I think that is necessary. So it, it, he had to come back in any case. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I like, do. His his his, his character is important to the story. I don't disagree with that. Mm. What I'm saying is, would they have gone to the trouble of? doing like 40 minutes of some old guy that his last big hit was in the 80s. That, that's what I'm saying. I don't, mm. I don't think they would have built, you know, the let's say the, the third, the final third of the film around an actor that wasn't Harrison Ford. And and I'd say that, I'm not saying I, I hate his performance in this film, I, I don't. Um, but at this point in his career, it just seems like, it's Harrison Ford in these films and not the characters and the, uh, that he used to play. You right. know, like, okay, I mean, it wasn't that bad with Han Solo, but in this, it just felt like Harrison Ford. Going back to our earlier conversation about how you felt at the end of Blade Runner, the final cut, about whether Deckard was a replicant or not, um, and we all agreed that he was, um, and we discussed how we love the fact that this film still leaves slight ambiguity around the fact that he is potentially a replicant um, or that he is a replicant or isn't. Um, Did you guys like the way that the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, like handled this big, you know, theme? Because, for example, Harrison Ford always said that Deckard wasn't a replicant and Ridley Scott always said that he was a replicant. And this Mm. sense of ambiguity around whether he was designed to meet Rachel and procreate and have this child or whether the fact that it was this sort of serendipitous uh, meeting between a human and a replicant that created the birth of this, you know, potentially new race of replicants, self-sustaining replicants, is really interesting. Um, mm. Did you guys like the way they handled they handle it and made it still ambiguous? And we can't definitively say whether Deckard is a a replicant or be a human. I like I like the ambiguity. I think mean, that's a good thing. Um, it promotes discussion, right? Like it, it, it gives us these philosophical questions that we all meet up now and we have a conversation about. The thing that I thought was a really interesting um, sort of sub narrative throughout the throughout the film, and something they sort of touched upon in the original Blade Runner, um, and I thought they hit upon it really well in this film with the character of Joy, was this idea of artificial intelligence and like we said earlier about having a soul, having a consciousness, having a free will. And I thought the character of Joy was a perfect sort of illustration. And I'd like to know where you guys come down on the, come down on either side of this argument, but I kind of feel like the whole film, we're kind of lulled into this full sense of security with Joy, thinking that maybe she's this self-aware um machine that is you know genuinely has feelings for ryan gosling and then sort of there's that amazing end scene uh one of the end scenes where 
you know, Ryan Gosling's character K just figured out that he's not the savior and he's walking in the rain and the giant, and this is after joy has been destroyed. This giant joy hologram who is naked incidentally, um, comes up to him. Um, and says, and says literally one of the first things she says to him in the film, which is what a day. And then you kind of, you know, at that moment for me anyway, I realized that, wow, you know, she isn't self-aware. She literally has just been saying everything that he wanted her to say. Um, and I want to know where you guys come down on that argument. Were you lulled into this full sense of security or do you think that joy had, you know, a, con- a consciousness. Yeah, I, I think I think actually, Len, you've, you've sort of summed up exactly what I thought about it as well. And like through the film, I thought, man, this um, this hologram is way into Ryan Gosling. That's cool, mm. but clearly, it's all part of what Joy does, and it's about doing everything that your that their owner wants them to do and yeah. so for uh, for Kay he wanted somebody to to have feelings and sort of feel like sacrificing herself for him and so she she was just playing that role for him and yeah it's it is so sad I think like, you know he's bought this thing yeah from a company and throughout the film it Obviously, I mean, is there any points in the movie where it like it tries to be negative to him or has an argument with him or no. doesn't absolutely go out of her way to please him? Yeah. Like, it's uh, it clearly, and you talk about artificial intelligence, like, uh, it learns as yeah. it goes along. Mm, um, and it's like, it, it's clearly like a positive effect on him to a certain yeah. point. You could argue that it's the, she's the one that convinces him that he's he's real. Yeah, um, and he's born. Yeah, because um, that's what yeah, he wants to hear. That, that's what he wants to hear. Well, oh, that's what the company is yeah. programmed it to do. And what's interesting then, in the novel, uh, there's a, there's a particularly interesting scene in the novel that I read um, this afternoon on my way back actually um, from lunch, which is um, one of the opening chapters where Deckard and his wife um, are getting up in the morning and they're they're having an argument, which is really bizarre because they're both replicants. And, um, and then his his wife or his partner, you know, whatever she she is, if you want to describe her as that, in the novel, um, says, well, we should just program ourselves for what we've programmed for the day. It's a program X, Y, Z, or whatever it is. And he says, well, my program's the same as every day. You know, I go to work and I'll do this and the other. And she said, well, today I've, um, I've programmed myself for six hours of severe depression because I've, I watched an advert on the television, which is all adverts about going off planet and, you know, um, off world. And I felt uh, a bizarre feeling of despair that I've never felt before. And I felt like I should feel that on a regular basis. So she has put into her programme um, for herself. If they'd have thrown that into Joy and that relationship between Kay and Joy, that would have been quite interesting. Annoying. Well, I mean, it is just life, <laughs> isn't it? So um, uh, it, it would be annoying in the sense that, I mean, if he he's bought this thing, for it to add that, you'd be like, "What's going on here? Get rid of that." I, yeah, I think Joy is is basically a piece of. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. Hold on. Um, equipment. Just a just a K 
computer. It's just a bit of software. And, yeah. Uh, and it's very good at pretending to be Alexa. Um, have you seen the film Her with uh, by Spike, by Spike oh, Jones? It yeah. is, after you've seen, now you've seen this, um, I would highly recommend watching that film. It, it definitely, ha- Her definitely, that film Her definitely influences this relationship in this film. Like there is no way that the director hasn't seen that film and then used it. It is literally um, Scarlett Johansson is a AI program and it's about a man's relationship with that program. Um, Scarlett Johansson, eh? And it, John, yeah. John, you would love it. And I thought the scene, like I said, about um, the giant Joy going down and talking to uh, Kay or Joe at this point was the that was him realizing that he'd been living in this, you know world of him believing that she was this you know thing that was there to that was thinking for herself and and you know helping him but and then he Mm. realizes after this is just after he's been told he's not the savior that wait a minute i'm just like her you know i I was i was made and i was programmed for this function but then there's that amazing moment where he really where he 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 steps out of his programming and he goes i'm not like her I am my own person and I am going to sacrifice myself to help Deckard and help the cause of the replicants. Mm. And that's really important. That whole, you know, getting that whole sense of breaking, breaking your, you know, your coding or what you're, what you're programmed or made to do. It's very popular at the moment um, in TV and film. This, and has been for about the last decade, it's just, it, this, as we become closer to realising the technology of artificial intelligence, which we are, you know, on the cusp of, um, mm. is this theme of more human than human. So, yeah. in the original Blade Runner, they have the, you know, replicants, you know, Nexus 6, more human than human. And there's that sense of this in this film as well, where, you know, it's even said at some point by one of the replicants after they realise they can give birth it's like you know more human than human and it's that great exploration of you know what makes us who we are as a as a race you know as a species and will we ever create something that surpasses us you know and 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 that's just really i just think that's fascinating it's been it's in popular culture now for like for ages films like ai which i you know got slated but it's great i wrote yeah things like irobot um Westworld, which we mm-hmm. which we all love and will be podcasting on in the future, um yeah. definitely had these questions. And it's just so I just find it absolutely fascinating. It, it might be one of my favourite sort of genres of like that 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 the cinema and T V tackles because I just I just mm. it's constantly, you know, moving the goalposts and making you think about your own existence and think about like all those deeper questions, you know? Because it's also relevant mm. to our life. So artificial intelligence is a thing that is prevalent for us all now in modern day. And that kind of links back to that whole conversation about having a soul and being born instead of being built and being made. You know, more human than human. Actually, what is humanity? Yeah, If I mean, we're creating mm-hmm. artificial intelligence as more human than humanity, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, and that's the interest. That That's yeah. what makes it such a great discussion and debate the the humanity themes what it means to be a human and what it means to show humanity or what you subscribe to be humanity so empathy and and things like that i mean that that's that's just running through the whole blade runner yeah um 
uh, series. Yes, yeah, um, But yeah, it's a uh, it's a fair point, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't consider myself to be very human. Well, you're not. <laughs> God. So, um, but going back to the conversation we were having about joy, I think that's a good thing. It's absolutely. A good thing. Absolutely. But going back to the conversation we were having about joy, there were times where I felt that she was more human to what I attribute humanity to than anybody else in that film. At a lot of but, points. But that's, but that's um, funny. That's interesting because she's probably she's like a projection of Kay's yeah. not even vision physical. of humanity in, oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like she's yeah. she's she's doing what kind of Kay imagines a housewife. perfect perfect partner would yeah be. perfect partner perfect <laughs> housewife in that in that situation to be. So I think I think at this point it's probably really important to talk about. Um, unfortunately, to go back to Jared later, because I know lots of people necessarily a fan of his character. However, what is Neander Wallace's aim here? Because he's he seems to be trying to get replicants that can breed, which is wonderful. Yeah. But wouldn't that put him out of business? No. So I think <clears throat> from a from a business perspective, actually, what he's looking for is streamlined efficiency. So if he can build replicants that can replicate yeah. or reproduce, mm-hmm. it means that he can still maintain the volume of replicants that he's currently creating, which is almost fulfilling the requirement, but they can then reproduce or yeah. replicate the replicants um, themselves, which saves him a huge amount of resources. And money. And will make him money. If you can say, so well, here, he, are, here are five replicants, he, but they can make 20 replicants because they can reproduce. Just a farm, yeah, it says at the start of the film in the text that comes on at the start of the film that he made all of his money from synthesising like farming because all of the obviously natural resources died and then he took over the replication business. He's a farmer. Yeah. You know, he wants to farm replicants mm. and then he wants to, you know, spread throughout the galaxy. That's his, you know, which is how the replicants go to these off-world conditions because they can survive in those conditions because they don't have certain attributes like humans. And then he he wants to use those to take humanity further. He's like a mad scientist who is looking for his, you know, chalice, you know, his his one thing that's going to define his life. Um, And he hasn't found it yet. I guess that comes back to the um, the big overall question as well, in that, like, if... If these replicant kids are being born, mm. then 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 the question is, what is the difference between them and a regular human well, being? The, the, well, the difference the, the difference is that um, human beings are basically extinct potentially because replicants are faster, they're stronger, they're smarter. You know, there's that scene where Kay is just analysing all of the DNA, um, mm. and he, he goes, "Oh yeah, stop." 47B and 502A and match them. Oh, they're identical. That's impossible. They can process things well, so you incredibly can, fast. They're like supercomputers. You can breed superhumans. Um, I think the, the the actual... Well, you can. Come on. Like, you no, never watch just that. It's just or... a throwaway. Just cut that. <laughs> and that's it. From you. Oh, God. Um, it's, called, it's called genocide. You just get rid of the people who aren't smart enough. Um, I'm not Hitler. Easy and now. I don't believe in it. Oh, God. But genuinely, like, you can just really see the human race. Um, well, it's eugenics, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Thank you, Gareth, for using the proper words and not taking the piss. Um, but actually, I think, bizarrely, the real difference between, like, the, the real high-intelligent, high-functioning 
uh, replicants in comparison to the humans is the autonomy because humans actually take away their own autonomy by being so beholden to rules that have been placed by other non-autonomous humans. Good point. Mm -hmm. Good point. Ah, yeah. Deep. Not as fucking smart as I look. I mean, fucking smarter than I look. Oh, <laughs> Do <God>. it! <laughs> That's like snatching... That's been recorded. Um, so, no, we need to talk about the significance of animals in 2049 in comparison to what I've read of the book. Um, and someone can probably throw in um, from my, my sparse memory of the original film. Um, but you don't, they don't really adhere to that, adhere to that, ref, refer to that until you get to probably when you meet Deckard again and you've got the dog wolf thing. Um, it's a dog. It's a dog. dog. I mean, it felt like a wolf when it first turned up and then it turned out to be a dog. The dog thing. 100% a dog. Um, and there's this, so in, in the novel, the whole of the novel, uh, from where I've got to, which is just shy of halfway, talks predominantly about how much of a status symbol and a social symbol it is to have a real living animal, not a replicant animal. So there's this <clears> whole <throat> thing where um, when Deckard and his wife first moved into their particular place, um, his father-in-law gave them a live sheep and then the sheep died. And he was so embarrassed by the fact that he'd lost his only living animal that he had to go and get a replicant sheep. And then he spends about five chapters walking past pet shops and thinking, oh, how much would it cost me to put down a deposit on a replicant ostrich? Or, you know, could I just buy a mouse? And this, that, and the other. And his argument with one of his neighbours about the horse that his neighbour has that's about to reproduce and shouldn't he give it to him? And then Deckard admits that his sheep is not a real sheep, it's a replicant sheep. Um, and the guy's face is like, oh, God, I'm really embarrassed for you. You don't even have a real animal you're just poor and pathetic and how it's become this bizarre status symbol so in 2049 when you meet Deckard again and he has a dog a real live living dog I assume but you know you don't really know I don't think he is a live dog but yeah continue. I think he is but then again you know I don't know if Deckard really knows he's a replicant um exactly. that means a lot and it's kind of like you know, in the 90s, it was like if you had a smeg fridge, you were like really rich. Or, like, you're you're still really rich that. now if you've got a smeg fridge. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> that's true. Or like the bigger your TV, the better mm. off you are. Yeah. In the world of Blade Runner, if you have a live animal because they're so scarce because of WWT, as we'll call it, World War Terminus, um, if you have a live animal, you're really, really well off because they cost like $30,000. And in Blade, in 2049, you, you kind of get the impression that all ecosystems on the Earth have been destroyed. Like, there, there are no living ecosystems anymore. Yeah. Like protein farms. Pro protein farms are how they, you know, make food, uh, which Neander Wallace probably, you know, helped save humanity with. And then you've got um, the fact that animals, you don't see any. Not even, you know, very rarely you see the even replicant ones in the film. You just get the sense that, that we have destroyed our planet, uh, which is an interesting mm. theme of, you know, climate change and all of the, those things that, that come into it. Going back to how the original is so ahead of its time, it clearly, you know, sees the environment, you know, back in 1982, it had visions of an environment failing, you know, um, which is amazing. Just another reason why it's a film that, build such an important vision of the future and what to avoid, you know? Mm. Or maybe the, uh, the lack of animals in the new one 
even replicant animals in the new one. Mm. Uh, maybe that's uh, some sort of call to the fact that there are either no humans left and everyone's a replicant. Ooh. Um, well, yeah, okay, calm down. You know, all, all the animals are gone. The humans will be gone soon. Uh, and the whole thing is eventually the replicants will take over. Or, or it might be a call to the fact that the replicants will be next anyway. So basically what we take away from it is everyone liked it, even if we felt that some, like Emma and John, you, you both felt it was slightly long. Personally, I could have sat there for another hour. I just thought it was great. Um, <laughs> I literally could have sat there for another hour. Um, I really needed to the toilet about an hour and a half in, mm-hmm. and yeah, that kind of tainted my my enjoyment of the second half of the film. Oh actually. God! Because but so only because sitting in your own piss. Yeah. <laughs> Two people who left after about an hour. What? Uh, yeah, they walked out. I had two people. I, so I went to see it for the second time today. Um, and Jesus. there were two people that left during my screening as well. Uh, and right, now on that, on that, now that doesn't surprise me. And no. uh, before when I was talking about the fact that this is a film that uh, critically will do well and I can sit there and, and be critical about a movie and go, yeah, brilliant, but I don't think it's that enjoyable. So we come back to the fact that it's absolutely bombing at the box office yeah. because it, it really is like it's for a specific audience. So, yeah, like uh, that doesn't surprise me at all that people would walk out of this movie. But um, do you guys think that it will win anything at the Oscars? Um, for technical achievements, yes. Nothing in terms of acting or best picture? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not I... even a nomination? I mean, you might get nominations. Um, I don't know. I don't know who would for for the acting. I reckon. I um, think uh, directing, I, directing, it, it very possibly will get a uh, Denny Villeneuve will get a will get a nomination. I think he got a nomination for Arrival, which he did last year, which was my favourite film of last year. Um, I forgot about that. Um, oh, what about what about sound? Hundred percent sound design. The sound was was. Amazing. Do you know who did the no, score? Yeah, not, but not on the level of the original. No, well, obviously, Van Vangelis did the uh, original score. It's literally probably one of the Please. most famous scores of all time. Um, yeah. Hans Zimmer had a hand in this one, and I thought it was very... Yeah, yeah. You thought, can tell. I thought it had... It took parts of, like, the Vangelis theme and just made them more Hans Zimmery, you know, like in, you know, just really, you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it could get nominations for sound design, um, cinematography, uh, best directing. I think it probably will sneak into the best picture category as a nomination. I think it will win stuff. Uh, I think it will get nominated for best film, but uh, I already know now that I'll enjoy star wars more than i will this yeah uh, and that's that's not to say that the last jedi is going to be a better film i'll well, just enjoy it more we've got a couple of good things coming up on the horizon we're going to be uh, covering the second season of stranger things which is released on netflix on october 27th we will be podcasting about that we don't know the format yet but we do know we're going to be doing maybe two or three episodes on that we have a season one recap of Strange Things uh, next week. 
and that will be a preview to season two as well. And uh, also we are going to be covering The Walking Dead season eight, All Out War, um, which promises to be the most action-packed and probably silly season of The Walking Dead to date. Um, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, so um, stay tuned for that as well. Um, I'd like to thank John, Gaz and Emma for being with me today. I'm the host, Len. And we will catch you hopefully in a week's time for our Stranger Things podcast. Laters, guys. Laters, potatoes. Laters. Bye. Bye.